Ladies and gentlemen, Ron and Joyce Hafen. Give them a hand. Which one is this? Oh, I guess I got two. Uh, I'll keep the cup. I'll keep the cup. Yeah. I just like to highlight them because they're, um, they're I'm like a big fan. And when they're in the house, I like to let everybody know. How many of you uh, really enjoy getting in, in on a good fight? You, get, you, like, you like to uh, participate and observe a good argument between people? Anybody out there? Me neither. Uh, my girls go at it, and I'm like, I, I worked all day. I don't want to hear your argument, right? Save it for when we lock you in your rooms tonight, right? And do all your arguing there. Well, you may not enjoy this. Um, we are going to, as we look at the book of Malachi, we're going to observe a, a, a I get the sense that the Lord has, has a couple of things that he wants to address, and he's had it. And so now that he's at the breaking point, there's just like this flow, and then there's this, and then there's this, right? He's, he has a, he's wants to pick a fight with the people of Israel, and so we're going to observe this collection of disputes in the book of Malachi. It's actually the structure of the book. Uh, the Lord will, uh, will address a particular issue. He'll, uh, he'll say something about uh, address the sincerity of the priests. He will address the quality of the people's worship. He's going to address their, their tremendous capacity for breaking the covenant um, and just their overall attitudes towards God. And so he says, you know, I just have these things on my mind, and here they are. Bam, bam, bam. And the people, every time he brings up one of those complaints that he has, those issues he has against them, their response is always the same. They respond with a, a question. They say, uh, how have we wearied you? How have we robbed from you? How have we treated you with contempt? Every time they respond, not really believing that he is seeing the whole picture accurately, right? And so wanting to defend themselves, they argue back with the Lord. And then after that, after their question, the Lord responds again to their question. And each time God answers their question from, uh, uh, from somewhere unexpected, Answers a question, revealing how this issue that he is addressing has trickled down into the little nuances of their lives. He says, you have robbed from me. When did we rob from you? Well, you robbed from me in your finances. You're faith breakers. So you're, you're covenant breakers. When did we break covenant with you? Well, it's, the, it's in the way that you treat your spouse, right? You didn't know to look for me there, but I've been there all along in those teeny tiny little nuances of your life. And this issue that I have with you affects these even small parts of your life that you are living out. And so because there's so many arguments, it's, it's a little bit tricky to discern what exactly is the book of Malachi about. It, it feels like it's about a number of issues. I'll tell you today, I believe the book of Malachi is really about one issue that's played out in a variety of ways. And this is the issue. The Lord says, if I had to sum it up to one argument, one complaint, one thing I want to address in your life, it is contempt. And here's the definition that I'm using today for contempt. Contempt is making an assessment 
of worthlessness. Now, when my wife and I have a dispute, um, I, I am learning to move beyond this, but certainly early on, and even to this day, when my wife and I have a dispute, I often feel like it's possible for me to state my case, right? That's one thing. But if I can't state my case with emotion, then I haven't been fully honest with her. Do you understand that? And she says to me, Skip, when you state your case with emotion, I shut down, right? I can't hear it with all that emotion. Can't you just be calm and say what your problem is? And so I'm working on that. It's a work in progress for me to tone down my emotion. You can imagine. Aren't you glad you're not married to me? <laughs> I mean, it's fun every other Sunday, but can you imagine every day all of this emotion? I got to tell you, I don't know that we can actually understand the real definition of contempt without understanding it with emotion, because it's not simply an assessment of worthlessness. It is an assessment a judgment, you have made a determination that this thing, whatever it is that you have contempt about, this thing, this situation, this person, is absolutely vile. Like a preacher who spits when he preaches. <laughs> absolutely disgusting, worthless, of no value, repulsive, contemptible. That's the definition of contempt. And here's the thing about contempt. Contempt is always a reflection on our God. The God who has created all things. The God who in his sovereignty orchestrates all things. The God who has redeemed all people. He sees me treat any one of those things as vile and worthless and he says, hey, that has something to do with me. And so I'm taking issue with that. The scripture actually says in Proverbs 14.31, says that uh, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. You thought you just had contempt for that worthless individual, right? God says, no. When you have contempt for them, you have contempt for me. And so with that understanding, it's a surprise to us when we crack open the book of Malachi and we don't get three verses into that book and the Lord himself is saying, there's things that I hate. And especially when he names a name, we're surprised to read that God hates Esau. Let's look at that passage. Malachi 1, verse 2 and 3. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. We go on to read that passage and we discover that, that he is actually speaking of a, a people group and, and actually quite literally the ways of a people group, the Edomites and you, you can read that later and you'll see them show up. But it's interesting to me that rather than saying, I hate the Edomites, he names their, their forefather, their founding father, if you will. Uh, this one man named Esau. He says there's, there's a man, 
who started the whole Edomite nation, and I hate Esau. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I heard God say, I hate Skip, that'd be rough. I'd want to know more about that. He says, I hated Esau. You remember Esau, don't you? Esau was um, uh, Isaac's, uh, the firstborn, the two twins. They came out almost simultaneously. His, his younger brother Jacob came out of the womb actually grasping the heel of his older brother Esau. Esau was the one who had the birthright. He had the ticket for inheriting all of Abraham and then Isaac's wealth. And not only their wealth, but the birthright also included this tremendous promise from God that Esau would be the great-great-great-great-grandfather of the Messiah who would come and save the world, right? Uh, that God would identify himself as the God of Esau. That's all the, all the things that were wrapped up in Esau's birthright. And one day Esau comes home from hunting and he is famished. He's, he's hungry and his little brother Jacob uh, who liked to stay close to mom and stay, uh, stay around the, the homestead there. Uh, his little brother is in the kitchen making lentil stew. Anybody ever have lentil stew? It's nothing special, right? Uh, it's, it's not great. Uh, it's not yummy. It's just lentils mashed up, served hot. And so... He walks in, and, ja- and, and uh, Jacob is making this lentil stew, and Esau says, I'm famished. I'm so hungry. And Jacob sees an opportunity. His whole life, Jacob has known that Esau would inherit this tremendous blessing. And his whole life, he was hoping for a way to possibly benefit from this. Jacob saw the inheritance as something of value. Esau just saw it as Well, the scripture says he despised his birthright. He barges into the kitchen. I smell soup. Give me some soup. And Jacob sees an opportunity. He says, I will trade you this bowl of lentil soup for your birthright. Esau says, what good is my birthright to me if I die? Now, as a dramatic person, uh, It takes one to know one. My guess is that he was probably going to survive long enough for him to go and make his own lentil soup, right? My guess is he would have survived uh, that that little uh, cooking project. But he says, what good is this birthright to me if I die? What he doesn't realize is that birthright, the dividends on that birthright, that particular birthright, the promise of God, for a coming Messiah, the promise of God for a land of rest. What Esau doesn't realize is that even if he did die as he's pushing the buttons on the microwave, even if he did die, that his inheritance in particular kicks into overdrive at his death, right? But he had no appreciation of this. And so he says, fine, you take the birthright. You take all the inheritance. I trade it all for a bowl of soup. And the Lord looks down on that and he says, dude, I hate that. You are a fool. You had all of this 
at the, at the tips of your fingerprints and you wasted it. For what? A bowl of soup? I hate that. I value a man who knows what I'm giving him and who values that. The book of Hebrews says in 12:17, it's not on the screen, but it says, Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son, Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. That is what contempt will produce in our lives. Wisdom is valuing. Wisdom is worship. Wisdom is the capacity to look at a situation, uh, a thing, a person, and understand their value, appreciate that for what it is, and function accordingly. Contempt is a cancer that wishes to drag all of us and all that's precious into its grave. Right? I asked a friend of mine, uh, I was working with uh, this last week. I said, I'm preaching on contempt Sunday. I said, where, where, do you, um, where do you see contempt showing up like in our culture? Like when you think about pop culture and stuff, I always, when I'm preparing a message, I always think about how to package it and I try to think of packaging it in ways that relates to us in our own, you know, in, in, our, in our own culture. So I said, who, where do you see contempt showing up in culture? And he said, uh, everywhere. It is a plight upon us. Your, 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 uh, your, your preacher man this morning, uh, I have uh, just a tremendous capacity to return to contempt over and over and over again, even though I know it's a cancer, uh, even though I know it's destructive. And yet, I find that I am prone to wander Returning again to making assessments of worthlessness. Right? I hope you don't have that problem. But just in case you do, the book of Malachi offers for us two strategies to counter contempt. I want to share those with you this morning. Maybe more, but the two that I want to highlight. The first one is that um, Malachi tells us that we can counter contempt with a growth mindset. It's kind of a catchphrase. Basically, the idea is uh, a mindset that steps into a situation or looks at a person or a scenario and says, there's opportunity here, right? I can actually, uh, uh, I can actually step into this and develop something here. It's a growth mindset. Uh, you know, the, the, the pattern here is that God brings up something and then people ask a question, how is that? And then, uh, uh, but do you, you know that, uh, you know, the question is how, one of the, one of the many questions that they ask, and this one actually comes up multiple times in the book of Malachi, the people respond to the Lord and they say, how have we shown contempt? Have you ever noticed that some questions are actually not a question at all? Some questions are an accusation. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe you've, your children have asked you a question, and really what they're doing is 
calling you out on the carpet. They don't really want to know the answer. They want to put you in your place. You ever been there? Yeah. I haven't yet. Uh, but I'm sure I've done it. Some questions are an accusation. Here's my question for you. Are you open to learning or do you shut down any challenge to your position? Are you open to somebody uh, uh, making a proposition that's a little bit different than how you see something? Or do you, as soon as your own position is challenged, do you shut it down? I'm always amazed every year at ABI, um, almost every year, I get these students who have made great sacrifice to come and be at that place. And almost every year, there's at least one student who feels like they, uh, their job is to challenge everything the teacher says, right? Those guys are lots of fun. <laughs> Just a real joy. And I want to say, if you, if you already know everything, what are you doing in my class, right? Are you open to learning something from a guy who's been around the block once or twice, or are you just interested in knowing your position and barking it out to everybody else, you know? There is a, a decision for, for the one who wishes to uh, overcome contempt, and the decision is you can either continue to condemn things as worthless, or you can begin to cultivate, right? You can decide to step into a situation and, and, and try to grow something. You know, I, I bet I could spend 10 minutes with somebody who is a contemptible, contemptuous? Somebody who has contempt. I don't know, I don't know how to say that. Do you, Michael? Contemptuous person. I can, have, I can spend 10 minutes with them, and just by listening to their dialogue, I bet I can discern if they are a contemptuous person or not. Just by, just by a series of statements. Contemptuous people say things like, that's dumb, you're stupid, you're an idiot, that's wrong, right? Shut up, I don't care. That kind of quick, we're going to assess this right now, I'm not going to grow from it. I've been challenged and I can't afford to be challenged. And so I do not have a growth mindset. And all of those statements and that attitude ends in death. It is a dead end. You have been drugged into your grave by this contempt cancer. And so to illustrate this idea of a growth mindset, Malachi has put on display not, not, a, not, a, not race issues, and not gender issues, where we might feel like we understand that group of people, we understand that gender of people, right, and have contempt for them. He does not put on display immigration or nationality. Instead, he comes down to something a little bit more common. He says, I want to illustrate uh, how a lack of growth mindset can play out in normal everyday life. I'm going to illustrate that for you in a marriage on the rocks. In this case, the case that Malachi is going to describe for us, the husband has um, given up. He sees uh, that there is no more value for him in this marriage. Not only that, but there is no more potential for further development in this marriage. And so if you would turn to Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 
13 through 16. The Lord says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made, excuse me, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Again, contempt. When contempt is introduced into a situation, its implications reach right into the throne room of God. A man says, this is getting old. I am weary of this woman. Right? She is driving me crazy. She is of no value to me. And those statements uh, go, again, right into the throne room of God. In fact, it's interesting, in First Peter, uh, uh, the Apostle Peter says, hey, I want to I clue you fellas in on something. In a Christian marriage, the man represents Christ to his bride. In Christ's case, it's Christ to the church, but in marriage, you are a display of that relationship. The, uh, you are the Jesus figure to your wife who is the church figure. And he says, uh, Peter says, and so here's the deal. If you are not able to treat your wife in a way that is considerate and respectful, you need to know that I'm watching you and taking my cue from you as to how you would like me to respond to you. God says, I, I, will have, uh, I, I, will, I will learn from you. How do you think this should go down? Are you unable to treat your wife with, uh, with respect, with understanding? He says, if that's the case, it will hinder your prayers. Do you remember that verse? Have you read that verse before? He says, I'm watching, I'm learning from you. Malachi here repeats that. He says, I hate divorce. God hates divorce. You know who else hates divorce? Everyone who's around it. If you've ever been a part of a divorce, either as a, as a spouse, as a parent, as a, uh, a child, it's a nightmare, right? And even divorces that uh, are, 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 I would say, necessary for, for protection, right? Even in those cases, even if, even if uh, a divorce comes through your life and it is a relief to you, I can certainly appreciate that. Even so, 
Wouldn't you agree that it is a nightmare to disassemble a family like that? It's so difficult. There's nothing easy about it. And the Lord says, yeah, I hate that. You know, classically, we've read that verse, and it has been a, a tool of, uh, I don't know, I don't know why people outside of a divorce situation would use this verse to further condemn somebody in what is obviously already a heartbreaking situation, but it's been used that way in the past. When I read this verse and I hear that God says, I hate divorce, I don't see it as a tool of, uh, of manipulation. I see it as a confession of a God who values deeply all the parties involved. I hate this. I hate that we're going through this. He says to the person who is divorced, you hate divorce? Me too. It's a way, of, a way for the, the Spirit of God to incarnate uh, this heart-wrenching scenario. He says, you know what else I hate? Since we're talking about contempt, since the illustration is marriage, he says, I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his, uh, his garment. This morning, in this environment, it's not my intention to discuss or give any specific direction regarding violence itself, except to say that if that's something you are currently living with, and if you would be so brave, after the service, we can certainly connect you with people who will uh, help you with uh, appropriate next steps, okay? You don't have to be alone in that. But what I want to talk about this morning is not violence um, itself. Uh, and, and actually, what I, what I honestly believe Malachi is addressing here is not so much the violence, but I'm talking about, and I believe Malachi is as well, a husband who covers himself with force. The verse says, I hate a man covering himself with violence. As with a garment, covering, garment, that's what shows up twice in that verse. And throughout Scripture, when the Lord uses, when, he, when the Lord talks about clothing in the prophets, um, we, we see that so often what's happening there is um, uh, somebody is putting on something that covers their shame that covers their inadequacy. Do you remember Adam and Eve's fig leaves? They covered their shame. They covered their inadequacy. They covered their nakedness. What's interesting to me about that is even after they were covered with the fig leaves, they confessed, we're still naked, right? We're still laid bare before you. And God says, I hate a man who covers himself with force. I hate a man who, is, who, who, who discovers that he is inadequate, that he is uh, 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 without understanding, that he is somehow lost in this situation. And so to compensate for his inadequacy, for his nakedness, for his shame, he covers over that with violence or force, right? Uh, a man who doesn't get it. And let's face it, ladies, sometimes you present your husband's with situations that are impossible for him to get. Is that fair? 
and he doesn't get it. And he could sit there and try to understand it, and he could re-engage you, could seek you out and try to understand you, but in time, it becomes more than he can bear, and so he covers that inadequacy with violence, with force, with authority. He says, I'm the man, that's why, right? You know, He's, uh, uh, he raises his voice, he gives his wife the cold shoulder. This is him covering with force. He says, I can't stand the fact that I don't know and I don't know what, I, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm naked, I'm bare, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm at the end of myself, and I can't admit that, so I cover it with force. Women do this too, of course, in other ways. But the illustration here in Malachi is of a man who covers himself with force. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know how to understand. He's embarrassed that he doesn't understand, so he protects himself with force, violence, a condemning blow rather than continuing the struggle with a growth mindset. He's a man who has contempt, a contemptuous man, will cover for himself with violence rather than stay in, stay in it with a growth mindset. Can you dig that? Does that make sense? So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Continue. Do the hard work, fellas, of continuing in curiosity. Uh, you've heard that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. When the Martian arrives on Venus, he is hopelessly lost, right? If you are living with a Martian, ladies, and you have a Martian who is such, of such caliber that he continues to seek you out, I'm not saying that he doesn't at some time say, ah, I don't get it, and walk away, but he returns. That man is valuable. <laughs> you got a good one there if he will continue in curiosity. Uh, he's a man who is not contemptuous. He sees value, and he's pursuing that. He is taking a great risk to his pride. And again, I'm talking about men because that is the illustration we're working with. The same is true for a woman who stays with a man and asks the questions and seeks to understand, right? The Martian steps into his situation and says, hey, wife, big gulps, huh? <laughs> All right, well, see you later. You're right? it's, it is a huge risk for him to stay there and continue in consideration. It's a man who knows what's valuable. Are you open to learning, or do you shut down any challenge to your position? There's a huge difference between, when did we show you contempt, and, okay, when did I show you contempt? You see the difference there? One is a contemptuous response. The other is one of worship, wisdom, value.
<sighs> I'm glad we got through that. <laughs> I was worried about that point. What do we have next? Oh, money. This will be fun. <laughs> I often wonder, like, is Aaron Weiser, does he, like, read these books and then say, yeah, we're going to give that one to Skip. <laughs> I feel like I get those a lot. You can, if you are a person who, who wants to counter contempt, Malachi says, uh, there's another opportunity for you to counter contempt. A growth mindset and also a consistent investment. Making a consistent investment. Consistently, repeatedly, as part of a habit, in big ways when you can afford it, in small ways when you're right on the edge. Uh, but always a habit of tucking away, making small investments. And if you think I'm talking about money, you're mistaken. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about contempt this morning, right? Have you heard the phrase, you reap what you sow? You've heard that, right? You know who said that? Jesus said that. And so we, we read that phrase, and, and it comes with a, a lot of authority. You reap what you sow. A contemptuous person says, I don't give a care. In fact, I was thinking about those I don't give a phrases this week. There's a lot of them. I don't give a care. I don't give a rip. I don't give a blank. I don't give another blank. And I don't give the other blank. I don't give a flying blank. Um, I, don't, I don't give a rat's blank. Right? You think about those phrases. We have, we, have, uh, we have developed a language to communicate our contempt that is artistic. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really out of sight, right? The things that we say we don't give, right, are just so debased, right? So, so, so reveal the level of contempt that we are capable of, right? Now, here's the thing. Jesus says, you reap what you sow, and you say, I don't give a care. Well, listen, if you're not even given a blank, imagine what you will reap, right? And that's the truth. That's the reality. You don't care? Well, guess what you have to look forward to? But a wise person, a person who wants to stave off contempt, will make investments. And listen, you and I, we are always investing, never not investing right? We are either investing value or we are investing contempt. And so if we are always investing, then we always have a dividend coming back to us. Uh, scares me. And so to illustrate this principle, Malachi puts on display, shipper, uh, on display a worshiper's financial generosity. He says, let me, let me tell you real specifically how, it's, how this contempt has trickled down into the little nuances of how you live out your life. Let's talk about your financial generosity, the checks you write, the dollars you give. And so let's read Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, excuse me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. You know that there is, uh, Jared, you'll like this, Jared Baker here. We were talking about uh, uh, offensive and defensive finance. Does this sound familiar? Right? Okay, here it is. There is an offensive and defensive nature to this blessing. He says, I will keep the devourer away and I will also fill up the house. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a, de a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You rob me. How? You don't tithe. You don't give the first part of your income to the ministry of displaying my glory through the church, through the priests, through the tabernacle. That's how you rob from me. You know, um, they say that people are, uh, I've heard studies that people are more likely to invest when their future self is made real to them, right? When, they, when they're able to picture um, what, they, uh, what they will feel like and their situation, what they will look like when they're ret at retirement age, that if you were able to show somebody that image, that they would, be, uh, they would become more aggressive in investing for that future. But we don't see our reality then, and so we, we put that off. Um, so I tried it. Uh, I have a picture here, uh, an image of me, very, a very current one. Uh, this is uh, me taking my own selfie. Of course, you, as you know, the, the eyes are accentuated, the lips are pursed. This is present skip. I don't know why it's fuzzy. And this is future skip. This is, uh, this is a technology that has been developing for the last six years. Um, my daughter, Hava, she drew this picture of me. And I, uh, I actually texted that picture to my therapist. Uh, I said, uh, what, do you, what do you make of this? Can you analyze this image my daughter drew and tell me, like, what is, what is she thinking of me? And... Uh, she texted back and said, yeah, well, it looks accurate. <laughs> so I'm in the market for a new therapist. <laughs> I want you to get a picture. You can take that off. Uh, <laughs> we're done with that. I want you to get a picture of what your future looks like if you continue with contempt. It looks like you standing there with an empty bowl of soup, saying, I had an opportunity to use my resources and to make, to turn this paper and metal into something of greater worth for eternity. I had an opportunity to invest, but I had contempt instead. And so I didn't invest. And here I stand with my empty bowl of soup. I could have been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but I'm not. Uh, I, or you know what I mean. I did that wrong, but you got the point, I think. Yeah. 
Your heart follows your wallet. There's just no other, I can't dress that up anymore. If you need your heart to go a certain direction, if there's someone in your world that you're struggling not to have contempt for, invest in them. If there's a situation that you say, I don't care, invest in it. And I'm talking about dollars, right? Make an investment. Here's my question for you, for your own self-evaluation. I'd like the worship team to come forward. Here's my question for you. If you want to counter contempt, you'll do it through consistent investment. Here's my question. Are you allowing your kingdom investment strategy to be influenced by contempt? You say, I would invest, but those guys in that building and those songs. You know what I mean? It's too loud there. Coffee's cold. Contempt. Is contempt influencing your decision to invest? Uh, You are going to receive a dividend on that one. Wisdom is valuing. Wisdom. Wisdom is worship. I would just say this. I know, I know from personal experience that continuing to understand, to try to understand is wearisome. I know that continuing to invest when it seems like there's no benefit from it is wearisome. And the Lord says, I get that. I've been wearied too. I've been wearied by you and your contempt. He says it right here in Malachi. But towards the end of the book, there's a group of old boys. And I just would love to have watched this play out. A group of old boys gather around. They heard Malachi's words. And this is what had happened. Then those who feared the Lord talked to each other. And the Lord listened and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. He said, "Ah, we've had contempt. We've shut down a growth mindset. We've refused to invest. But we've heard you now, Lord, and we're repentant. And so today, though we are weary, today we're making a decision, a commitment to, to, to step into those, to, to, to re-engage, right? To see value again. We're going we're gonna to move in wisdom. And I would say to you today, if you are weary of investing, if you are weary of seeking to understand, choose again today. Can you do it today? Can you choose today not to have contempt? but to see value in the people, the situations that surround you. If you will make that choice today and then again tomorrow and then again the next day, it will become the habit of your life. Aaron, you want to come on up? We're going to come before the Lord now and worship sing to him uh, if you would like prayer for any reason again we've heard Drew mention this last week we've just heard a number of fantastic testimonies of 
physical healing, uh, even financial, emotional things going on through receiving prayer. It's very simple. There's no uh, formula to it. It just means walking over and say, would you pray? We'll have some prayer team members over here. Uh, during this time, you can drop off uh, your offering. Let's come to the Lord together. <laughs> 